Amen. Hallelujah. The one who set me free. Anybody free tonight? Hallelujah. Doesn't it feel good to be finally free? Free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin. And I'm so thankful for who he is. Tonight, if you did not receive a copy of the outline, would you hold your hand up for me for just a moment? They're going to come by and make sure that you have one. Would you hold your hand up just now? And just kind of keep it there. we got just a few back that way, Quincy. Thank you all for uh, being willing each week to make sure those are handed out and that everybody has one. Hey, if you're our guest while they're doing that, if you'll look on the car, I mean, excuse me, on the chair backs in front of you, uh, every other one of those or so has one of these QR codes. And so I want to encourage you to pick one of those up. And if you will, uh, scan that with your phone and give us some information that we might minister to you and know how to pray for you better. So if you're our guest tonight, please do that. And I'm always amazed how many guests we have on Wednesday night. So thank you for being here. And home folk, thank you for being here. And uh, you see how full this place is? I want you all to glance around. Look at this thing on a Wednesday night out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm so thankful for what God is doing in our midst, all right? If you have your Bible tonight, let's go ahead and make our way to where we're going to camp out. Y'all want to go on a camp out together? Good. Uh, We're going to camp out a little bit in Jeremiah chapter number one. Jeremiah chapter one. Make your way there if you will. Can we smile and turn pages at the same time? that all right with y'all? We won't do a smile wave tonight. We'll save those for Sunday mornings. But if you'll just smile at me every once in a while, I know you're all right. And uh, I believe God's got a word for me and you uh, tonight, Jeremiah chapter number one. And again, we're going to be looking at verse four on the, all the way down through verse number 19, all right? That's the whole chapter, by the way. You glad for that? All right, we're going to cover its entirety tonight, okay? And I'm excited about what God is about to do in our hearts and lives. Uh, The title of our message tonight is A Masterpiece for a Master Plan. Would you write that somewhere on your outline? A Masterpiece for a Master Plan. Now, if you were here Sunday, uh, you heard me mention something about, uh, well, I guess it was probably just the second worship time. So if you're part of the first gathering, 8.30, you may not have heard this. But in the second worship time, I felt a little compelled uh, to get to the finish line because I had a I had a half of a wild hog on the smoker. Y'all with me? And as I, so, some of you even asked me tonight, how did it turn out? It was wonderful. I'm telling you, it was wonderful. Smoked it for about 14 and a half hours. That thing, wasn't it? Johnny has some, it was good, wasn't it? And uh, man, it was so good. But, but what I want to say to you is this, uh, somebody asked me, man, how do you, how are you able to preach and then your smoker's going and all that. I said, oh, man, my wife, a number of years ago, y'all thought I was going to say split some wood and made sure the wood stayed on the fire. I saw y'all. Uh, not that, but a number of years ago, she, for Christmas, uh, purchased me a gift. And the gift is what they call a pellet grill, all right? Now, I'm sort of an old school guy, right? And so I thought pellet grill, mm, you know, that's not going to have the same flavor as the wood I like to, you know, and oh, I've always done the hard way and, you know, anything that cuts corners is not going to be as good. And anyway, I was glad to get it. And yet the first time that I cooked something on it, uh, y'all remember the commercial? I don't know. There was some cooking utensil for the kitchen and the guy would say the catchphrase was set it and forget it, right? And so I remember hearing the instruction on this pellet grill and the instruction was you can just set the temperature and, and make, as long as you got pellets in there, you're good. I remember thinking to myself, there's no way under the sun that that can work, and neither can it be good. And yet, I found, after the first use, both of those were lies. 
it was wonderfully easy, and it came out wonderful. I'm telling you, I had the smoke ring. I mean, it looked like I had worked, and I'm, people said, oh, that's the best meat I've ever had. And I sat back like I was a master chef and be like, I know, I kept the temperature just right, and oh, it's just wonderful. And so I remember thinking, uh, the more that I've used it over these years since, I, uh, since she got it for me, uh, I have, every time I've used it, I said, that thing's a masterpiece. I mean, that's a masterpiece. Now, the master plan for me is to produce some good smoked meat, right? But that thing, that pillar grill is a, some of y'all are going, see, I told you, and you're thinking about getting one right now, aren't you? All right. So the master plan was to produce some wonderful meat, and the masterpiece that did it was this wonderful grill that my wife purchased for me. Now, my question for you is, do you feel like a masterpiece uh, to be used for the master's plan? Why don't you think about that for a minute? Okay. Now, let's, with that thought in our mind and that little bit of prompting, I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me, and let's read Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 4 and on down through verse number 19. Now, uh, Jeremiah obviously is a prophet, oftentimes referred to as the weeping prophet. Why? Well, because he does a lot of crying. He has a compassionate heart. Now, what you're going to find is that Jeremiah's ministry was one that was very difficult. The message that he preached, the people didn't receive it in his lifetime. So can you imagine... I was talking with the staff about that this week. Can you imagine if uh, God said to you, now listen, I've got a ministry for you, and here's what it is. I'm going to give you some very pointed, very sharp, very, very, um, um, I'm just going to say very right to the point, accusatory uh, accusations against my people. Now, doesn't that sound fun? And you're going to deliver them, and it, the only thing is they're not going to receive it. And you're going to do that all your life. Doesn't that want to sound like a ministry you're going to sign up for? You're going to preach a hard message. All of your life to a hard-hearted people who will never receive it. Boy, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Now you know why he was the weeping prophet. But it wasn't that he wept because of the assignment. He wept because of the people's impenitent hearts. They heard the word from God. And, and, and because we humans believe that God, well, God's a great big teddy bear, and he wouldn't just talk rough to us. You know, he just wants to just tell us everything's okay, and let's just all you know, do what we want to do and have a group hug. Um, but that is not the definition of God from the Bible that we find, all right? So let's dive in tonight to the first chapter and find out not, not necessarily the message he's going to be preaching, but instead let's peer into the time that God said, Jeremiah, you're my masterpiece, and you're going to live out my master plan. All right, you all with me? Everybody together? Okay, let's begin now in verse number four. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and this is Jeremiah speaking, and the word of the Lord said to me, before I formed you in the womb, y'all help me, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, and this is Jeremiah's response to what God said to him. Ah, Lord God, behold, I, I cannot speak because I am a, I'm a youth. But the Lord said back, so they're having a back and forth. And the Lord said to me, back to Jeremiah, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all the of whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. And the purpose is to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah said back, I see a branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. 
And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, and he asked Jeremiah again, what do you see? And Jeremiah responded back to God by saying, I see a boiling pot, and it is facing away from the north. And God said, the Lord said to me, out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come, and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around it. And against all the cities of Judah, I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and, let's read this together out loud, you ready? And worshiped the works of their own hands. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise, and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar. And bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me? Master, we thank you today for the opportunity to gather in Jesus' name. From the oldest to the youngest, Lord, from the lightest to the darkest, from the most educated to the least, to the one who has a lot of financial resources, to the one who barely has any, we thank you that all of us have arrived, not at this building, but at this place of salvation, whoever saved here today. We've all come here today, God. We've all, those of us who've been born again have all come to you by grace. And we thank you that that levels the playing field. We thank you that in the midst of that, we don't have to put on airs. We don't have to put masks on and pretend that we're somebody we're not. Lord, we don't have to look up to people and feel inferior, but instead we can look to the Lord Jesus and just be in awe. And so, God, I pray tonight that as you have chosen me, a very weak and beggarly vessel, to put on display tonight your great power to use anybody, anywhere, at any time to do what you desire. I know tonight you desire to break open your word and to inform our lives and transform our lives by it. So would you help me tonight? Lord, I'm weak. I'm less than ordinary. So help me tonight. Overwhelm my faculties as I surrender my life to you and you use me to accomplish your plan. Father, I pray the gift would prove you are who you say you are. And as you preach through me, also God preach to me and to all of us. And I pray every man, woman, boy, and girl within the sound of my voice would feel as if they're the only person on planet earth and that you're sitting down one-on-one -on -one like a father to a child and having a pointed conversation to encourage us and call us up. So speak from heaven. We're listening. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as you're being seated, I encourage you to grab something that you might could write a few notes down on. Maybe you're our guest tonight, and you say, well, what would I do that for? And I would answer that by saying, we believe Jesus is the master teacher, and so we all want to be master students, right? And to be master students, we probably need to take a few notes, because y'all know we have a tendency to forget things. Sometimes I have people come, well, right after the service, they'll say, you know, you said this, and I'm like, no, I didn't say that. And I'll say, let me see your notes. Well, I didn't take any notes. Well, you might want to take a few notes, so the next time you'll know what I said, right? And so I encourage you to write a few things down. More than anything, write the verses that go with it so that you can go back on your own, you and the Holy Spirit, and spend some more time together in the Word of God, okay? Remember, the title is A Masterpiece for a Master Plan, all right? A Masterpiece for a Master Plan. Now, what's the main idea? God's people are His masterpiece for His master plan. It's just a kind of a retelling of the title. What's the main idea of this passage? God's people are His masterpiece for... His master plan, all right? Now, again, you have your outline there. You glad? 
Some of y'all said, man, on Wednesdays, I'm so tired. Thank you for producing that and having it where I can just write a few words in. All right. So, if you will, we're going to look at Roman number one together and go back with me to verse number four and verse number five. What I want you to write down in the blank there as we walk through this passage together is God's children are, in fact, His masterpiece. Would you write that? God's people are His, help me, masterpiece. Now, how many of you feel like when you woke up this morning and you looked at yourself in the mirror and you thought to yourself, you know, I am certainly the masterpiece of God. Anybody, anybody wake up thinking that way? Uh, how many of you maybe look at, let's, let's do this. Uh, how many of you can look at your life over the last month, six months, and say, as I look at my life over the last six months or year, by the way you've lived it and, and, and never failed and lived so perfectly, uh, any of you look at that last six months, year, two years, and say, you know what, looking at my life, I'm definitely God's masterpiece. Well, are any of you like me, and you look at yourself in the mirror, or you look at your track record in faithfulness to God, and you sometimes wonder how God could love you at all? Anybody like that in the room? All right, good. I'm amongst my people. And so oftentimes we look at our lives, and we just, we just don't believe that we, in fact, are the masterpiece of God. And I'm going to tell you something. We have an enemy that helps to promote that. Did you know that? No, I'm not talking about your wife. No, I'm not talking about your husband. No, I'm not talking about your teacher or your students or your clients or your classmates. Or your, no, I'm talking about uh, Satan and his demons. And so his objective is to constantly whisper and to use people to whisper and to say to us that we're failures, that we don't do it, we don't accomplish it. And so because of that, we have a tendency to keep our mouth shut and not be very much for the glory of God. Can any of you relate to that tonight? And so tonight, let's dive in and see what it is that God said to Jeremiah that I believe with all my heart the Holy Spirit would also say to me and you tonight that would not beat us down but in fact call us up. That as, as God preaches this word through me, to me, and to you, that he would dispel all the lies of the enemy that you and I believe and we let the little seeds of doubt and discouragement settle in and that the Spirit of God and the Word of God would wash over that tonight and we walk out of here feeling like the masterpieces of God for the purpose of accomplishing God's master plan. All right? So here we go. Roman number one. God's children are, in fact, his masterpiece. Listen, listen and there's going to be three things I want to share with you and show you in verse 4 and verse 5. So he says, the word of the Lord came to me, and this is what it said, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb. Now let's just stop right there and say, number one, under Roman number one, write this down, we are uniquely formed. He said to Jeremiah, before I formed you. Now there, he's getting to a point, but before we get to the main point, uh, let's not miss the detail here that God is saying, I formed you. And I want you somewhere in your notes there, somewhere on that piece of paper for you to write down, God formed me. Would you write that down somewhere? God formed me. Now, somebody in your life may have told you that you were an accident. Somebody may have told you. I've heard this before. I hear, I hear parents say, well, they were an oops. You know, uh, maybe they have children that are in their 20s and 30s, and then all of a sudden they have, the, they have a caboose that comes in at three or four years old, right? And, and they say, well, that, this one is the, is the oops. Let me say something to you. There's no human being born under the sun that is in the, not in the economy and plan of God and is not, there is no such thing as an oops. Now, someone once said to me, well, then how do you describe like having children out of wedlock? Because we know that's sinful because it doesn't honor God. And I say to that, this, uh, God knows the end from the beginning. 
In other words, he doesn't sit here and wait and see what happens and kind of determine what he's going to do next and how life is going to be. No, no. He knows the end of time. He knows every detail of every day, of every word, every thought, every action, all the way through to the end of time, all the way through into eternity. And that is what makes him, you ready for this? Very God. Nobody you know that's like him. And so you say, well, what about that child? Well, that child also is part of the plan of God. Now, it may have been a sinful action that brought the child to be, but what we've learned in this journey is that that child is, the miracle of life is still a gift, amen, and that God can, because he's so gracious and kind and powerful, that he can take something that is uh, born in sinfulness, right, not just children, I'm talking about all kinds of things, and he can turn that into something that glorifies his name. Anybody say, that's your testimony? It's mine. It is absolutely the testimony of my life. He turned something uh, upside down and cleansed it from the inside out. And so we are uniquely formed. He said, before I formed you in the womb. Now, there's something else we need to note here in our hearts and minds, and that is if God forms them in the wombs, we don't need to kill them there. Okay? If God forms them in the womb, then we don't need to kill them there. Now, there's a lot of debate in, in circles, and it's amazing to me how Christians are beginning to debate this issue, and it's not an issue to be debated at all. Um, but instead, we learn that God can take the most sinful of actions and turn something good into it. All things work together for the good of those who love God and call according to his purposes. And yet, oftentimes, we don't have the faith to believe that God can take such a mess and turn it into something good. So let's just settle in our mind that if God forms them, we don't need to kill them, all right? So that's something you need to settle in your heart based on the word of God, okay? So uh, God uh, uniquely forms us in the womb. That means he decided uh, uh, what color your hair was going to be. He, he decided what processes were going to take place, that DNA would work, and which parts of your mom's DNA, and which part of your dad's DNA was going to come together to form. And you know, I told you all Sunday that you're unique like snowflakes, and that wasn't received well. I didn't call you a snowflake. I just, snowflakes are unique. Maybe I should say you're a fingerprint. Does that feel better? Uh, what I mean is, uh, you are absolutely unique. There is nobody under the sun ever created before or after that is like you. And who did that? God did that. And he formed you uniquely. And the things about you that you wish were different. I remember for a large portion of my life, I prayed that God would make me two inches taller so that I could play in the NFL. And I'm so thankful unto God he knew better what height I needed to be so that I wouldn't have wasted my time in some silly game, right, that kids play that are inter it's entertainment instead of missing the high calling of pastoring his people. And so he knows how tall we need to be. He knows the sound of our voice. He knows everything unique and individual about us. And so you may have been told you're a mistake and something about you and your mind and the enemy may have told you, but I'm here to tell you today that God uniquely formed you. And he formed you from a position of love and adoration. I don't know why in heaven's name God loves me and you. I don't. We don't give him any reason to. But I know this. He does. He does. He's already proved it. All right, so we are uniquely formed. Number two in your notes, write this down. We are not just uniquely formed because he said, Jeremiah, before I formed you, so there's a fact here, I formed you. Uh, he said, but before that happened, here's the second thing we need to see. We are known by God before we're ever born. Now, can you imagine somebody coming up to you and, and shaking your hand uh, and saying to you, uh, hey, Todd, before you were ever born, I knew you. You say, man, you've lost your mind. I didn't know me, and my mama didn't know me because I wasn't born yet, and you certainly didn't know me because you don't even know my middle name. But God is able to say to Jeremiah, before you were ever formed in the womb, I knew you by experience. We had relationship. We've talked and we've walked, and I'm sure Jeremiah's like, what in the world are you talking about? 
And someone asked me one time, how could God say to somebody who's not yet existed, how could he say to Jeremiah, before I put you together, before I knitted you together, before I formed you, the idea there is someone putting together all the parts in a place where they need to be, how could he say, before that ever happened, I knew you, I already knew you. And what I want to remind you is, is that God sees the end from the beginning, but not just sees it, because when we hear that, we think God is stuck in this place at the start line, and that he can see to the finish line. That's not the case. That's just an analogy that God chose to use to share, help us to understand. He declares the end from the beginning. Why can he declare the ending from the beginning of something? Because he's already there. And so what I want you to write down somewhere in your notes is to begin to understand something about, here's a word for you, theology. Oh, that's fancy. And what does theology mean? Simply put, the study of God. And what are we learning tonight about God and the study of God in this particular passage? That is this. He says, listen, he says, before uh, I formed you, I already knew you. What we learn about God is he is in what I'm going to refer to as the state of the eternal now. Now, I want you just to write that down. Let's walk it out. Okay, you ready? So right now, uh, you and I are not in the past. How many of you agree with that? Raise your hand. We're not in the past. Some of y'all aren't raising your hand. Now, that's an easy one. You got to stay with me. Because it's going to get a little more difficult, all right? Let me, let me run it by you again. Uh, how many of you know that we are not in the past right now? Okay, good. <laughs> Some of you are having deja vu and you're thinking that you are, but you're not, all right? So we're not in the past. How many of you know that we're not in the future? Raise your hand. We're not in the future right now, okay? We are, we are only stuck. That's what we are, right? That, you know, somewhere we are stuck. Where are we stuck? We're stuck right here. We can't go back half a millisecond. We can't go forward half a millisecond. We are stuck right here. We can't see anything ahead of us. We can't. And, and by the way, the things that we see behind us oftentimes our memory gets all jacked up. And we can't even remember the accounts of yesterday to great detail. It's why when you have three eyewitnesses with the same thing, you ask them after it, all three have a little bit different story. So we are stuck here and now, but God is not stuck anywhere because he operates outside of time and space. Does that make sense to you? Now, not only does he operate outside of time and space, but he also operates inside of time and space. But he's not stuck there. And so right now, the eternal now, God is in the past. For me and you, it's over, but he's there. And for us and him, he's also here. Aren't you glad he's here? And I don't mean like just in this room. I'm talking about right here at this particular time in history on your watch. He's here. But at the same time that he's in the past right now and he's in the present right now, he also is right now in the... And now you begin to see why he can say to Jeremiah, before he had this time-space beginning... He already knew him. He'd already walked with him. He's already talked with him. He's talking with him and walking with him now, even before he's addressing him in the passage. Now, some of y'all are going, whoa. Hey, let me say something about him. You ready? He's very God. And so he says to Jeremiah, you are uniquely made. You are my masterpiece. You are uniquely formed. You were known by me before uh, you were born. And the third thing I want you to see is that we also, uh, when I say that we're his masterpiece, we're uniquely formed. We're known by God before we're born. And the third thing is we have divine purpose. Every single one of us has divine purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me reason to get up in the morning. Because most of you know a little about me and the fact that I get bored easy. And if all that I was was to get up and eat and work and eat and sleep and wake up and do it again, if that was the whole scope of the thing, I'm just going to tell you something, I wouldn't want to live. If that was the totality of existence and that was all that there was to this thing that we call life, I'm just going to tell you something, that makes me want to throw up on the floor. 
And yet, some of us in this room and some who are listening online right now, that is exactly how you're approaching every day. You're just existing. And it's miserable. It's like a rat in a wheel. You ever seen a little hamster roll in one of them wheels? They can't be happy, can they? Except that their little mind is so simple that that's challenging enough, and they're all right just to run in that wheel. And yet you were not created that way because the hamster was not created in the image of God. (laughs) But you were. And deep down in your heart and in your mind, you know that you were created for something bigger than just to go to work and earn a paycheck. And so because of that, if that's how you're living today, if that's how you're living your life tonight, I want to say to you that part of the reason you feel so unfulfilled and there's a gnawing feeling when you try to lay your head down at night is because you've not yet determined and figured out that you were made by God uniquely for a divine purpose. And I pray tonight you began just to open your heart and God would open your mind to realize you were made for something so much more than just existing here in this life. And so, number three, we have divine purpose. Where do you see that? Again, in verse number five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah. Before you were born, Jeremiah, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That word sanctified means to be set apart. And so, before you were ever born, God set you apart for some specific ministry, some specific good works, some specific purpose to reach specific people, to impact specific decisions and cultures and life and, and your home and your, where you work and where you go to school. And, and all of those things were part of his wonderful plan. And yet, and yet many of us, I'm telling you, we do not, we cannot see the fact that we are a masterpiece. And listen, it's why, listen to me, it's why the enemy works so hard and strategically to convince you that you are broken and that you're flawed and that you're worthless and that you have failed and that because of what you've done back there, there's no way you could do something right here and there's no way God could ever do anything magnificent with your life. And I'm praying unto God you shake that off this very night. So we are God's children. God's children are his Come on, y'all. Number one, God's children are his masterpiece. Number two, all right, number two. And by the way, not all of us are ordained of God to be prophets. Do you realize that? Yes. And not all of us are ordained to be uh, preachers or deacons. You understand that? But we are, in fact, all of us set apart and called by God to something, to something for his glory, okay? Number two in your notes, God's people, first we said God's children are his masterpiece. Second, uh, God's children and God's people underestimate God. Do you know that you have underestimated God in your lifetime? I want to tell you something. I have underestimated God for a large portion of my life. Let me share with you, if I can, where I'm coming from in verse number 6. So God has told him that he's, well, that he's his masterpiece. And, and by the way, it's, it's sort of an awkward. Any of you feel awkward when somebody compliments you? Anybody besides me? Like somebody will come up to you and tell you something, and you're just like, mm, uh, I don't know what to say now. <laughs> you know what I mean? You look at the carpet, you look over there, you change the subject. You wait till they get through giving you a compliment, you start talking about something else, or you give them a compliment. You know, you just can't really. Can you imagine like sitting down with God and God having this conversation with you? Listen to me. That's what he's doing right now. And he's sitting you down, and he's having a conversation with you, and he's trying to speak through his servant, through his word, through his spirit, directly into your heart to say, you're my masterpiece. And I don't want you to live any less than that. I want you to live as my masterpiece. I want you to be fully convinced that I made you specific, okay, that I made you, that I knew you before you were born, and that you have divine purpose, all right? So then we see in verse number six, Jeremiah's response. So I want you to imagine, if you would, uh, you and I were listening, we're eavesdropping to a conversation between Jeremiah and God. Can we do that? Can y'all, can we pretend? Some of y'all are just staring at me. You're not in a good mood today. 
So watch what happens. God first, we hear one voice, and the one voice is saying, I knew you before you were, I knitted you together in your womb. I knew you before you were born. There's this one side of the conversation that's just so beautiful and, and encouraging and, 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 and calling him up, and, and boy, you're hearing that. And then you hear the other side of the conversation. Now, you can't see them. Maybe you don't know who they are, but you hear one side of it, and you're like, wow, that's a, there's some authority in those statements. There's some power in those statements, right? There's some encouragement in those statements. So what is the voice going to say back? You're listening, you got your ear to the wall, and the next voice says, ah, Lord God. And then we hear, y'all read with me, okay? How does he he respond? He says, ah, Lord God. First word, just one word. First word he says to God is, behold. Now, first of all, I don't think you and I should ever uh, begin a conversation with God by saying, behold. It's a word that is like a, you've found something. It's a word that is an exploratory word. It's a word that says, I've explored and I've learned something and I need to reveal it to you. Now, what could you and I ever reveal to God? I'll tell you. You ready? Nothing. (laughs) But we still try. We still try to reveal to God what we don't understand and what we try to say that we know better about ourselves than he does. And so, Jeremiah, we're listening, and we're, we're like, what is this guy talking about? He says, ah, Lord God, uh, behold, and you're thinking, okay, well, maybe you can't see him. And so you're thinking these two people are equal, or, or the one who's talking back to the first person, the second person's talking back to the first person, and by saying behold, you're already thinking, okay, well, these people are two equals, or the second person has more authority than the first. Oh, wow. I wonder how many times in my conversation with God and your conversation with God where we take the role of authority and we begin to tell him instead of listening and asking permission and doing what he says do. So what he says back, listen, he says, ah, Lord God, read with me, verse number six. Then he says, ah, Lord God, behold, right? Here's something I found out you need to know. I, come on, y'all help me, cannot speak. See, you've made a mistake. You've made a mistake. You don't really know me. I need, behold, sets the tone. Listen, I need to tell you something you don't know about me. I cannot speak. The one thing you're telling me to do is I'm going to go out and speak, prophet, speak. You, you, the one thing you're calling me to do, oh, you've, you've got the wrong guy because I can't do that. How many of us in this room, listening out there tonight, have responded to God the same way? I cannot be the man of God you've called me to be because I have failed. I, uh, I'm quiet. I'm, I'm, I can't be the woman of God. I can't be a helper. What do you mean helper? He doesn't deserve, I, I can't do that. I don't have the strength to do that. I, and, and on and on and on. And so he says, oh, Lord God, behold, behold. I need to tell you something about me. Uh, I cannot speak because, and here's something else that God didn't know because he formed him in his womb. He knew the day was going to be born. He knew him before he was born, and he set the birth date, and yet he's going to tell God, oh, by the way, I'm young. And don't we underestimate God. You say, wait a minute, pastor. He's not underestimating God. He's, he's, he's estimating himself, right, by estimating yourself for the ability to accomplish God's master plan, you've just underestimated God. Because you were formed by God. And for you to look at yourself and hear the divine assignment of God and his purpose and plan for your life, and then to say, I can't do it, is to underestimate the one who made you and called you. Oh, wow. How in the world can you and I ever underestimate God? Well, I'm not doing that, preacher. I just have a low self-esteem. I have a low idea of myself. Exactly. And who made you? And whose image are you made in? And so to underestimate yourself, to look down on yourself, to estimate you as the source of power and ability is to underestimate God. Let me just read this statement. I think I wrote it 
I think I typed it in the notes. I'm not 100% sure. It's time for you and me to stop making excuses. Can I say that to you again tonight? It's Wednesday night. The preacher out in the middle of nowhere told me I need to stop making excuses for not living the will of God in my life. By the way, it's not time. It's past time. That old excuse, listen, that you've been throwing up God's face has gotten old. And it's time for you to stop throwing the excuse, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too this, I did that, I've done that. It's, listen, it's old. It doesn't hold any water with God. Why? He made you. He formed you. He called you. He gifted you. You can never give an excuse to God why you cannot do what God says do. For instance, he says for all of us to go and make disciples. Oh, Lord, here he goes again. And yet the majority in this room are actively not investing set apart time individually to disciple somebody in the faith. And the reason is, I don't think I can do that. I don't have time. I don't have the gift. I, I, I. And God says, your excuse holds no water with me. I designed you. I formed you. And by the way, New Testament example, I gifted you my spirit. I've given you a church to teach you and guide you and help you. I've given you a pastor to teach you and Bible teachers to teach you. I've given you the spirit, the church, the word, I've given you everything you need. And so the, listen to me. It's time for me and you to stop making excuses and start will, living the will of God. All right? Let me just say this to you. Why? Because you're his masterpiece. You're his masterpiece. All right? Number two, uh, excuse me, we just canceled two. Let's go to three. Y'all ready? Number three in your notes, would you write this down in the blank there? God's children are divinely empowered. Now, this is what takes our excuses away, right? Because God, if he just said, now, I need you to just go do it on your own, go figure it out, uh, we would then be able to say to him, well, I can't do that. We would be justified. If God said, you know, I'm not going to give you my spirit, I'm not going to give you my word, and I'm not going to give you the church to, to encourage you, to cheer you on, to challenge you, to hold you accountable, I'm not going to give you those three great resources, you go figure it out on your own, then we would be able to look at God and say, now, that's not fair. I can't do that. But he has. And so we are not able to look at him and say, well, I'm a young person. I can't speak. I can't do what you've called me to do and designed me to do. I can't do it. All right? So picking up in verse number seven. Are you all there? Somebody Amen. 7 through 10, but the Lord said to me, and I love this, because imagine we got our ear to the wall and we're listening back and forth, and what does God say back to him now? Do not say, now hang on, hang on just a minute, let's pause right there. How many of you have ever had your child talk back to you? Do you love that? That's the greatest feeling, isn't it? And they start about the time, you know, they can't even open the yogurt for themselves. And they will look you in the face. It's always surprised me. They will look you in the face and hear what you said do and talk right back to you like they could educate you on why what you said to them can't be done, right? It's amazing. And yet, I'm reminded I've done the same thing to him. And so have you. Know, let me see, let, here's the question. What's a greater distance, a three-year-old's thinking toward a 45-year-old's thinking or a human's thinking compared to God's thinking? I'll tell you, it's easy. Yeah, the distance between my thinking is. So I want you to think about how many times that's occurred in my life and your life. And, and so we uh, hear the assignment and we say we can't do it. And they start talking back, right? And, and, and I'm telling you, it just blesses your heart to be talked back to. And some of us yet live our whole lives talking back to God. Go and make disciples. I can't. I can't. Share your testimony. I can't. I can't. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. 
be faithful to gather with the church. Nah, it doesn't fit my schedule. We, we just constantly talk about So uh, some of us, we need to listen, divinely empowered. Listen to what he says. But the Lord God said to him, don't say that. Have you ever, have you ever said that to your child? Right, by a show of hands, how many of in the room have said to your child or somebody else's child, you've said, hey, don't say that. Raise your hand. Oh, man. I wish I could tell you how many times I've said that. I, I'm, I'm thinking now about the next generation, right? And uh, I don't know, years ago, I was talking to Swayze, and, and uh, I was telling her something, and she just, right in the middle of me telling her something, she just spun around and started walking off, shaking her head no. And I'm like, oh, no, uh-uh. And so I said, no, hang on, hang on. Hang on. I got it right in front of her, squatted down, looked her in the eyes, and said, don't say that. Do not say no to pop, right? I want you to see God as a loving father saying to his child, Jeremiah, hey, don't say that. Don't say that. And I want you to hear him today uh, like a, a daddy would do sometime maybe to his son or daughter, you know, taking his hands and putting it on each side of your face and, and, you know, lovingly but also affirmatively looking you deep in your eyes and saying to you right now, stop saying that. Stop having that conversation in your head, talking yourself out of doing what I've called you and equipped you to do. Stop doing that. And God is saying to us today, stop saying you're not going to do it. You're going to do it. Now, let, let's read on what he has to say. I am. He says, don't say. I love it. Don't you hear God telling him? By the way, remember what we said, we're eavesdropping. And by the term, behold, and how Jeremiah is speaking to God, if you didn't know him, and there's two people you didn't know, you'd think that they're equals. But now we find out they're not equal. Anybody with me? One's telling the other what to do. Who is it? God. Who's he telling what to do? Jeremiah. Why? Because he's the ultimate authority. God's the ultimate authority. So he says to him, do not say that. Don't say I'm a youth, for you shall go. Don't you love this? Don't you say that, because you shall go to not just some of them. You're going to everybody I send you to. And then he says, and whatever I command you, you're going to say it. You're going to say what I tell you to say. And then he says, then in verse number 8, he addresses the root issue of most of our talking back to God, fear. Fear. What's the number one reason you and I talk back to the will of God, talk back to the authority of God, talk back to doing what God's called us to do? We're afraid. We're afraid. How many of you know that about me and you? Number one reason, if I sit down and ask you, hey, why, why didn't you tell anybody about Jesus today? Well, I'm afraid they may ask me a question I don't know. I'm afraid that they will reject me. I'm afraid that, and there's this fear that grips us, and it paralyzes us, and it causes us not to walk in obedient, loving obedience to our heavenly Father. So God's children are divinely empowered. Listen to what he says to him. Don't be afraid of their faces. And then he tells him why in verse 8. You're reading? Don't be afraid of their faces because you're, because, see verse 8? Because you're a wonderful speaker and you're, 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 you're gifted and you're beautiful and you're tall and you're, no, not at all. He says, don't be afraid. Why? For I'm with you. You need to write that somewhere. What are we empowered by? Here it is. You ready? The presence of God. The presence of God, the Ancient of Days, El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. He is living inside the heart of every born-again believer, his own spirit. And what he says to me and you is there's nothing that we cannot do. Are you with me? Now, we don't believe that very much, do we? But the truth of the matter is there's nothing we cannot accomplish because God himself is living inside of us. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? Now, the hard part about it, it takes all of our excuses away. Well, I can't. Well, that's right. I died. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. 
I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I have no excuse to ever say, I can't, I'm not, I, 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 I died. And now it's God's Spirit who's guiding me and empowering me. Listen, God's people are empowered divinely. We are divinely empowered. That's what he tells Jeremiah, verse 9. He says, I'm with you, and I'm with you to deliver you, verse 9. And the Lord put forth his hand and touched his mouth. And he said, behold, I put my words in your mouth. And he says, see, I've set you this day. I've already done these things. It's already done. I know you can't see it yet. It's not yet accomplished, but trust me, God's saying, when I say it, it's as good as done. This is who you are, and you're divinely empowered. Here's a verse, right in your notes quickly. Or it is already in your notes, isn't it? Acts 1.8. What does it say? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. I told you. Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall leap buildings in a single bound. And you shall cast out every sickness and disease. And you shall speak in tongues. No, he said, and you shall be witnesses to me. You know, I believe with all my heart the reason with which he said the power you're going to receive from the Holy Spirit is to begin to witness. What does a witness do? A witness testifies. And I believe the reason that we receive such power from the Holy Spirit is because we're so doggone chicken to do it. We're so afraid. We're so paralyzed by fear. And so what he says is your greatest need is to overcome the fear of. Now, there's a lot of other fears that he overcomes, the fear of death, the fear of what this, uh, the future, fear of suffering. All that stuff is evaporated in his presence. But here he's saying he's taking away the fear of witnessing. Now, my question for you is have you relied yet on the Holy Spirit enough that you're no longer afraid to witness? And I would ask you to wrestle that out in your heart and mind by asking yourself this question, who's leading me? Because if you're not witnessing, he's not leading you. Is that, is that fair? Can you, get, can you see that? Y'all just staring at me. Can you see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Yeah, that's what it says. So he says you're going to receive power to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So number three, God's children are divinely empowered. Number four, oh, we may not finish. Number four, verse 11 to 13, we are guided by, you ready? We are guided by faith. If I'm going to be a master plan, I mean, excuse me, a masterpiece to accomplish the master's plan, I'm going to have to live my life guided by, because there are some things my eyes are going to see and some things my ears are going to hear that will challenge what God has promised. How many of you know that about, about life? It's the same principle of the children of Israel when they crossed over the Jordan River with the 12 spies. God's promise You're going to go over and take that land. It's yours. Their eyes saw giants. Their eyes saw fortified cities. Their ears heard threats. They go back and they go, instead of by faith, they go by sight. And what their eyes saw and what their ears heard, they went with that. And because of that, 40 years, they wandered until they died out. Listen, I don't want to live that way. And I pray you don't want to live that way. And so just because your eyes see something or because your ears hear something, because the doctor said this diagnosis, or because your eyes see the person not loving you the way you wish they loved them or the commitment that you wish you had, just because those things are not that way now does not mean that God's not working and he won't accomplish them. So stop, listen, we and I got to stop leaning on our eyes and our ears and instead live our lives by faith and not by sight. Here's what he does in those next verses. I'm not going to read them all along. But what he does, he asks Jeremiah two things. He asks him what he sees. Ask him what he sees, and he sees an almond branch, and he sees a boiling pot. And so he's asking him, uh, can you see with the eyes of faith what I'm trying to show you? And God shows him some things about coming judgment, a time to accomplish, a boiling pot. It represents the judgment. And so he's basically asking him, if you will, do you see by faith what I'm trying to show you? And so let me just make this statement to you before I move on. We are guided by faith. Underneath that, you see, we live the mission because heaven and hell are real. 
Now, if you don't believe that, if, because your eyes have never seen heaven, you do realize that. We sang about it, and it moved me when we sang about the hymn of heaven, but your eyes have never seen it. And your ears have never heard the sweet singing of the angels in, in heaven. You hadn't, haven't done that. We haven't heard the groanings and the weeping and gnashing of teeth of the people in hell. We've not heard that. Well, when have you and I heard the people, the Scripture says that those in hell are weeping all the time, crying and gnashing their teeth, grinding teeth. By the way, I'm so glad I can hear that because grinding teeth just absolutely wears me out. But I don't mean it in a selfish way. I'm talking about they're locked in outer darkness and they're crying the whole time. And don't you get sick of hearing people cry sometimes? Some of you are looking like, that was a mean statement. I don't mean like for heartfelt things. I just mean when they just sort of keep on, on, and on, and on. And yet they're weeping and gnashing their teeth for all eternity. And, but you've not yet heard that. You've not, I mean, right? You've not yet heard that. You've not yet heard the angels sing in heaven. You've not yet heard uh, the lost souls separated from God that chose not to receive Jesus that are weeping and gnashing their teeth in heaven. You've not yet heard that. So it's all by Faith. So we have to, we press on and we live the mission and we witness and we testify and we go and we give and we, and we do the things that God's called us to do. And we stay near to him in prayer and his word because we know heaven and hell is real. Not just that, but also that hope is real. And that, that, that there is hope to be found in a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ the Son. And that's why we do what we do. We believe that. We've not yet seen it, but we believe it. We've experienced it. We've seen the evidence of it. And it's why we do what we do. So God's children are divinely empowered. But, but four, we said we are guided by faith. All right, let me move on to number five. In order to live God's master plan, you with me? Two of us. I've got to wait for some more. Yes, all right, here we go. In order to live God's master plan, we must, here's the word, prepare. So someone might say, okay, great, man. I, I understand tonight that I'm a masterpiece made by God for the purpose of God's master plan, and I'm not going to live to the lies of the enemy anymore, and I'm just going to sit on my couch and pray and pray and pray, and I'm going to sit on my couch and pray and wait and pray and wait and pray and wait, and, uh, and I'm just going to wait, and God's going to show me somewhere. No, 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 we've got to prepare. Do you see it? So as he's told him his mission and what his message is going to be, in verse number 17, he says, now, after I've told you you're my masterpiece and here's my master plan, in verse 17, he says, therefore, there's two things that Jeremiah's going to have to do. Number one, he's got to, look at you guys, prepare himself. He's going to have to prepare himself. And so I want to ask you a question. How do you and I prepare ourselves to live out the mission of God by, by the Word of God? Number one way, we feed on the Word of God daily. Consistent diet of the Word of God. Not trying to read the Bible through in a year and you get all them names mixed up and confused. You won't have any idea what you read. But if you'll slow down, and instead of reading your Bible, you'll, you'll consider it meeting with God. If you'll just change the way you see it. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm going to meet with God. And I'm going to let God speak to me and inform me and wash over me and my thoughts and change them for his thoughts. And his word has that kind of power. And so the word of God. Here's some other ways we prepare. Prayer. We prepare in prayer. God, help me as you send me. Help me. Prepare my heart, my mind for this day. And so we prepare in the Word and in prayer. We prepare ourselves by gathering on Wednesday night out in the middle of nowhere. Part of what you're doing tonight is preparing you for tomorrow when it comes, right? And also to face challenges that are year out or two years out. And God's preparing in your heart uh, the Word that you needed to have so that when it comes, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember where I learned about this in the Word of God. So we have all these ways of Preparing. Fasting is part of our preparing. Now watch this. How about making no provision for the flesh? That's part of preparing. I don't the things that I trip up, the things that I'm tempted with, I make sure they're not around me. I make no provision for the flesh. That's part of that's part of preparing. How about this? This is an involuntary one. You ready? Trials prepare me. 
How many of you know the trials that you've been through have prepared you more for the rest of your life? Hallelujah, yes, they have. And we can look back on the deepest and darkest valleys that we've been through, and if we'll walk a little while with Jesus, we can look back and say, boy, I'm thankful that that happened because it changed me for the better. It drew me close to God. I learned what desperation was. I learned what fervent prayer was. I learned about the character and nature of God because it's one thing to hear about it, and when the bills are paid and everybody's well and diagnosis is good, it's great and fine. But, man, when you're deep down in that valley and God proves himself faithful and that his presence is there, it changes the game, doesn't it? Everything changes. You say, he really is who he says he is. And then you come out of that thing and you say, man, I love God even more. And I'm thankful I went through what I went through. So in order to live God's master plan, we must prepare, all right? But the second part of that is the word arise. Now, I didn't put this in your notes, so I need you to write it under number five. Write the word arise because if all we ever do is prepare and we never play, if, you with me? By the way, uh, I used to love to practice because I, 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 I love to go full speed and practice as I did in the game. But then also there, there come a time early in the year, if you played any sports in football, you did a bunch of uh, practicing. You came in before anybody else did in July and August. You're lifting weights. You're pounding on your teammates. And it's a long time that passes before you get to play another team. And so you're practicing and you're doing these scrimmage games and all of it's necessary, but it's nothing like going out and playing the real game. And what he says to, the, to Jeremiah is, you've got to prepare. You've got to prepare. You're my masterpiece, yes, but you still have some part and portion, and that is to prepare. You've got to prepare. And after you prepare, as you prepare, you've got to then arise, which means you've got to get up and go do it. Now, some of us are real prepared. We're, so I know some people that are so prepared in the Word and in prayer, and it, but they have nothing to show for it because there's no activity. So you have to take what you learn and put it into and actions, all right? So we are guided by faith, but in order to live God's master plan, we must prepare and add to that arise. Number six, can you believe we've gotten to the end of this thing? Somebody said, yeah, we're over time right now. We've got to be. Surely we're at the end. Surely. But this one has three, so we've got to hurry. We have, lastly, we have divine guarantees. The promises of God. You're my masterpiece. I have a master plan. Prepare and go do it. All right? Now, oh, that sounds great. All right, wonderful. But, God, I need some promise to this thing. All right, here it is. Here's your promise. Here's your guarantee. You ready? Anybody ready? Yeah. All right, so in verse 18, uh, I want you to see in your notes there, number one, little number one, is we are made able. Made. All right? I need you to get that word, made. It means like a clay on a potter's wheel. The, the, pl the clay is made into a cup. Okay? So here's what he says in verse 18 for, to Jeremiah. Uh, for behold, I have, y'all read it with me. For behold, I have made you this day. Okay, well, what has he made him? I've made you a fortified city. I've, there's three things. I've made you an iron pillar, and I've made you bronze walls. God says to Jeremiah, you're my masterpiece. Here's my master plan. Now you prepare and then go do it. And by the way. I've made you three things, three strong things. Did you notice that? Fortified, bronze, iron. What he's saying is, I've made you strong. I've made you fit for the task. I've made you, listen, I've hardened you, not, not like a hard heart, but I've made you like hardened steel. I've worked on you. I've fashioned you. I've put you together in your mother's womb so that uh, you would be ready for a time such as this, for a task such as this. Can I tell you tonight that God shaped you and formed you and made you for a time and a task such as this? 
and you're ready and you're made. And he says, we are made able, all right? Now, why is it important that, no, first of all, who is he going to be a, a wall against, a, a pillar against, uh, and, and a city, a fortified city against, against the kings of Judah, against the princes, against the priests? Oh, and in case you think I'm leaving somebody else and anybody's going to be your friend, against all the people of the land. So it's not just the nobles, not just the princes, not just the kings, but also everybody. So what is he saying? Number two, number one, we said we're made able. Number two, we will be opposed. If you think for a minute you're going to get up from your chair tonight and you're going to leave out here encouraged and informed by the Word of God that you're His masterpiece for His master plan, you're going to go and make preparation and prayer, drawing near to God, and then you're going to get up after drawing near and go do it and not be opposed, you've got another thing coming. When you walk in the will of God, there will always be opposition. Write that somewhere. When you walk in the will of God, there will always be, help me somebody, opposition. I, I figured some of you guys and gals would have said amen right there. Uh, when you say, get fully surrendered, when you say, I'm going to be all about his will, you're going to find out real quickly that the enemy is not just going to sit back and say, well, man, I'm so glad they got saved, and I hope they make a big difference for the kingdom. No. They're going to oppose, he's going to oppose you. There's going to be opposition, okay? So we will be opposed. We were made able, but we will be opposed. Now you see why. Now you see why he made him a fortified city and a bronze pillar uh, and an iron pillar and a bronze wall. Why? Because he's going to be opposed. Those things need to be, they can't be clay. If they're ceramic, they're not going to hold up. So God said, I've made you for this. Let me tell you something. He's made you for this. Can you think about how difficult the last few years have been with COVID and things that we've gone through, things that we've seen? And for you to pause tonight and think he made you for such a time as this. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? That God made you for this time in history. Let me move on. So this divine guarantee, we're made able. God guaranteed we're made able. Number two, he guaranteed that we'd be opposed and glory to his name. Look at this last one. We cannot be defeated. Would you write that in your notes there? We can't be defeated. Listen to what he tells Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he says, they will. Are you all reading with me? They will fight against you. Who will? Kings of Judah, the, pri the princes, the priests. Oh, and if I left anybody else, all the people. They're going to fight against you. So go ahead and settle in your heart and mind that the enemy is going to fight against you. That's what he's going to do, all right? But in the midst of that, he says, but here's the, here's the turning point, but they, here's the second guarantee. They shall not prevail against you. Listen to me. Uh, you, if you're a child of God, your enemy can't win. It doesn't matter if you fail, it doesn't matter if you're weak, it doesn't matter if you poorly perform, uh, because your victory was already won. It's not being fought out right now. Your victory was already won. When Jesus said from the cross, tetelestai, right? It's the word that means in the Greek, it is finished. The battle's already won. There's no more battle raging on. Now, there's some stuff going on down here on the earth, but God allows all that because it shapes his people. It makes us stronger. It places us in places where we see our desperation. It causes us to draw near to him that he might produce in us what we need to live out the master plan. Boy, he's a good God. And you're more valuable than you thought. When you came in here, you felt like today you really failed. You said some things and you did some things. And you look back over your life and maybe you've been married two or three times. Maybe you come in and you heard me say not to kill him in the womb and you've had an abortion. And you got all this stuff floating around in your head and your mind. And the enemy's constantly bringing them up to you and beating you down with them. And God has brought you in here and set your rear end down and said to you, you're my masterpiece. And the reason you're my masterpiece is I have a master plan. Now go and live it. Go and live it for the glory of God. There's some guarantees. There's going to be some fights. There's going to be some battles. 
We're made able. We, were, we will be opposed, but we cannot be defeated. And then he tells him why. You ready? Y'all with me still? But they shall not prevail against you because, for is the same as because, because you are strong and intelligent and kind. Nope. Because, oh, we've made a full circle. So Jeremiah's not the hero of the story? No. Well, wait a minute. I thought I was supposed to model my life after Jeremiah. Oh, no, no, no. You're supposed to, like Jeremiah, live by faith and believe that you are his masterpiece, God's masterpiece. And God, the hero of the story, will live in you and through you in such a way that people will be reached for the glory of God. He'll use your little life, living on a little planet and a little state, in a little town, in a little business, in a little school, on a little street, in a little house, and he'll use you in such a way that, you, that it's beyond your wildest dreams because there's a plan, there's a master plan, and you're part of it. So tonight, I want you to consider that, all right, as I encourage you to bow your head with me for just a moment. We cannot be defeated. Glory to God. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad tonight you can't be defeated? So, uh, heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Main idea. What was it? God's people are his masterpiece for his master plan. So as you're settling, cleaning up shop, putting your stuff away, I want to remind you of something. You're much more specific and wonderful than a pellet grill, although it's really wonderful. <laughs> you may look at your life and feel like you're lacking you may look back over the scope of this week as a man, as a woman, as a young person, and you have focused a whole lot on your failures. And because you've focused on those, you've allowed the enemy to tell you that your season is over, it's past, you've messed up too much, there's no way that God could use you. And I want to remind you, 20-something years ago, I'm in, I'm in clubs in downtown Jackson, drinking on the clock living a violent lifestyle, and yet here I am, forgiven, cleansed, and now useful for His purposes. You know why? Because all the masterpieces are not masterpieces because we've lived perfect. None of us have. We're masterpieces because we've taken our broken lives and put them in His hand. And when you, listen to me, when you take your broken life and you put it in His hand, He'll make something beautiful, a masterpiece. So if you're here tonight, you've never invited Jesus to be Lord. You've never taken your life. That's what I meant. Put it in his hand. My question for you is, would you believe tonight that Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth, God's son? And then he went to the cross of Calvary after experiencing what it's like to be human, but also showing us what God is like. And he went to the cross, and he did so for the purpose of securing a full unconditional pardon for whosoever would call on his name to have our sins forgiven, to make peace with the Father on our behalf. And yet the Word of God says, only to those who receive Him does He give the right to be called children of God. So my question quickly tonight is this, have you received the Lord Jesus? And if you have not, what in heaven's name are you waiting for? If you'll take your broken life, put it in His hand by inviting Jesus to be Lord. He'll save you right now. He'll begin putting pieces together. He'll show you things, great and mighty things, the likes of which your mind can't fathom. 
If you're here and you know that's happened for you and you know for certain that you're a child of God and yet tonight you realize that you've been a little bit paralyzed by fear and failure and all the garbage and the nonsense and tonight God has brought you in here and set you down like his child and said, don't say that. Don't say that ever again. That conversation you've been having about yourself in your head, don't say that about you. Be careful how you talk about God's child even when it's you. Don't say that about you anymore. Don't say what you can't do. Don't say what you won't do. Don't say that. Instead, listen to your daddy tonight. As he says to you, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I want you to hear him say to you tonight, I love you and you're a masterpiece and I want you to live out my master plan. So I want to say that the altar's open tonight. And I want to just say this. You may feel led of God to come and pray. You may have somebody here you want to come and pray with. John and Beverly, I think you're going to come help me here. And Tina and I will be down front. And so if you have something on your heart you'd just like for us to pray for you about, if you'd like to just come to the altar and pray for somebody or something, I invite you, please come. Please come. Don't hesitate tonight. So, Father, I pray as we stand to our feet in just a moment that your spirit would have free reign to move in our hearts and lives. That people wouldn't rush up from the altar or rush down from the altar or stay in their chairs, but, God, your spirit would just move so freely. And, Father, that your truth tonight would chase away the lies of the enemy and your children would be free to live in the power and authority of Jesus' name. So, please, speak now and move now and calls us to respond in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.